0: And we're back with the Let's Talk About God podcast. I'm just leaning into it now. I'm just going for it. Episode 16. Um, <laughs> excited about this one. We are returning. We hope your September is good. Uh, we're, we're returning with our sacrament September. Talking about the sacraments. Uh, that reminds me. Have you seen uh, LeBron James' Taco Tuesday? You even know what I'm talking about? I... I have just seen it in passing. What is that? It's his family's thing. They have like a taco night every Tuesday. And then he films himself and like his family. And they just shout out, Taco Tuesday. <laughs> and then he points it at every one of his kids. And they have to shout it out, which is just hilarious. I don't know why. This just remind me of that. Are you wanting us to yell
1: Taco Tuesday in the microphones or here?
0: Sacrament, September. September. That's really lame. No. That makes it worse. All right. Oh, boy. We hope that you uh, have listened to and enjoyed um, our last podcast on baptism. That was the first part to Sacrament September, and uh, today we're returning with communion. Um, But before we get into it, give us the recap. What is a sacrament? What's a communion? Or or excuse me, what's an ordinance? (laughs) What's a sacrament? What's an ordinance? What are we talking about this month?
1: We are talking about ordinances. Um, and these are things that Jesus has commanded us to do, particularly um, water baptism, which we talked about in the last episode, and then communion or the Lord's Supper, often called the Eucharist. Those are the two two ordinances. Um, just to throw it out there, some denominations actually add a third, which is feet washing, where Jesus washed the disciples' feet, And he said, I've given you an example. So some believe that. Um, Ordinances are visible signs of the saving work of Jesus Christ. They're outward representations of the realities of salvation. Uh, They're acts of worship that uh, put you in real communion and fellowship with God, which I think we'll really see that here when we start talking about Mm -hmm. communion. And um, they have three qualities. They're instituted by Jesus. They are tied to his atoning work ultimately salvation, and they're repeated in the church. So water baptism is done, should be done once, and then this one is one that's done repeatedly Mm -hmm. in the church. So that's kind of an overview of what an ordinance is.
0: So sacrament is just a different word for that that we use. Uh, The reason we prefer ordinance is sometimes sacrament implies that there's like a special grace in the physical thing, in the action. Yes. Beyond just God's presence and work in an act of worship. Exactly. So yeah.
1: we're 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 kind of gonna intentionally
0: and uh, intentionally avoid that and but stay we, with the ordinance. We'd have had it done ordinance October. So we <laughs> there you go. It, we left it Sacrament September so that we could have really goofy name Hey before we get going, I do want to remind you I forgot to tell you about this at the beginning. Um if you have a question, any kind of Bible question at all, we want you to find us on Facebook, we want you to find us on Instagram at High Praises Church, send us a direct message and uh, and ask us any of your questions. Maybe today while you're listening to our episode on communion, when we get uh, started in just a second, maybe you, you think... Something you've you've got a question, you write it down, and we don't answer it on this episode, send it in. We may answer your question at the end of a future episode, or if your question, um, you know, could make a full episode, we might even make a full episode out of your question. So go ahead and find us on Facebook at High Praises Church, find us on Instagram at high praises church, send us a direct message. We want to write those questions down and answer it for you it's going to be awesome, but let's get into it today we are talking about communion uh the the second the second ordinance um so go ahead and give me what is your thirty second definition of communion Um, eating
1: bread and the fruit of the vine uh, as symbols of the death of Jesus in corporate worship that's good how about that that's, that's about concise. as succinct as i can be
0: i said that communion is an ordinance in which we symbolically eat bread and drink of the vine in order to remember the death and it ultimately leads to the resurrection of christ but particularly we observe the death i like the, your definition better through, thank you mine was just off the cuff it's yours totally was, fine i put you on the spot i wrote good. this one down you did good sorry Anyways, we're talking about communion. Um we're 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 talking about we we eat the bread, we drink of the vine, the the bread and we're going to go into depth representing the broken body of Christ and then the vine representing the blood and the blood ultimately represents the the death of Christ. And associating that with his atoning work and we do this regularly in the church as you mentioned earlier so like we did with baptism um, there's also an Old Testament connection with communion and so that's called Passover so Jesus actually transformed the Passover feast and made it communion which is really interesting we last episode we made a connection between circumcision and baptism but with communion Jesus actually changed it which right. I think is really, really interesting. So talk to us, what is what is the Passover feast? Where does that come from? Who celebrated it, and why? The
1: Passover feast was instituted the, the, on the eve of uh, Israel's exodus from Egypt, mm-hmm. and they were to take a lamb and to kill it and eat it, and then to take the blood of the lamb and put it on the doorpost and on the lintel and— the death angel would come through egypt and kill all the firstborn this was the 10th ten- plague of the of the 10 plagues that god put on egypt mm-hmm. and the the what was told to the people is that when the death angel saw the blood on the doorpost he would pass over the house and not kill the firstborn so it mm-hmm. was a there was a saving element a saving this was a saving work he was not judging them for their Sins in a way. Right. And so they would be saved. Yeah. I think the biggest thing is there was they're a saved. passing over and they're saved. Yeah. So this became, by commandment of God, a major feast that the children of Israel had to celebrate, which mm-hmm. Jews, Jewish people today still mm-hmm. celebrate. Very uh, important. All these thousands of years later, it's a very, very, it's a major, the major feast. And so it was within that setting because Jesus was killed – Um, crucified on the Passover, so he celebrated the Passover with his disciples basically a day early Mm -hmm. uh, in order to celebrate that with them. I think it was important because he was the Passover lamb, Yeah, and so he wanted to be with them and take, I think, two things. He wanted to take that Old Testament concept, which looked forward to, to, to the reality of him being the Passover lamb and dying on the cross. I think he wanted to make that connection with them that night, but also to institute the Lord's supper, which now becomes what was the Old Testament feast that looked forward to his death. Now we have, the New Testament feast, if you will, mm-hmm. communion, the Lord's Supper, which looks back to His death. Wow! So He wanted to separate it from the old covenant and and make a new covenant meal, but He kept the connection of both being a meal. And so He, in that context, took the Old Testament concept in the New Testament.
0: Absolutely. I I just want to take a break from here and just think about. I just really want to commend God for a second for His <laughs> genius. Um, I, I I love that. Through uh, the, the ordinances, through baptism and communion, God gives us these physical representations of spiritual realities. And it's just so smart to give us, who are physical beings, tangible beings, material beings, to give us something material to hold on to, to both remember and to understand something that he's doing Spiritually, because without it, these concepts can be difficult to understand. But he's he's given us something in a way that we can regularly understand them, remember them. It appeals to our senses. Um, You know, even in communion, we've got sight, smell, taste, we feel it. I, I just think it's wonderful how God gave us little humans something to understand these great spiritual realities. I just think that's cool.
1: The yeah, symbols are important to us. Yes, they I are. I mean, everything in America from the flag to if you like to wear Nike and the Swish, you know, if symbols are part of life, mm-hmm. and he knew that. So th- this, these symbols are incredibly powerful for us as believers. Yeah, they are.
0: Well, let's get into it. Uh, we, we know that, it, that communion – Began as the Passover feast, right? Looking towards the death and resurrection of Christ. Now that we're looking back, what does uh, communion represent? So I would just say we start with this. It's a remembrance of the Lord. It's a remembrance of Christ. Jesus says, literally, do this in remembrance of me. So the first goal of communion is simply remembering. Christ. Think
1: about Jesus. Think about him. Think about his life. Think about his death. It's not just the death. Think about his resurrection. Absolutely. Think about his ascension. Think about the fact that he's alive and well, and he's a living Savior uh, and his living presence. I think all of that is is brought into it. I don't think there's a, a very narrow view. I think you you think about Jesus mm-hmm. and who he is and what he's done for us. So that's the first one.
0: Now, as we, as we explore that, what do you think Jesus saying, do this in remembrance of me— do you think that's commentary on human forgetfulness? <laughs> yeah, I do.
1: I really do. I think, and especially it's human nature. Mm-hmm. I think, um, second of all, what would apply to us, for those of us, if you're an American audience listen to this, is we are so busy. We mm-hmm. get so busy doing so many things. And how many times we just forget to do the things we need to do in day yeah. in day out living. Oh, I forgot. You know, Oh, man, I forgot to do this. I need to put this in my phone I need to, so I can remind myself. Forgot to go to the doctor. You know, Forgot to go to the store and buy groceries. You, we just forget. Mm-hmm. And so I think he understood human nature, and this is a way we can be reminded
0: consistently of who he is and, and what he's done for us. It keeps the main thing the main thing. There, you there are go. so many aspects of Christianity. I, I think it would be easy to— to To stray off and focus on a lot of different things, but the fact that he commanded this, uh, we have to do it regularly. Jesus is making sure that we keep him at the center of everything. We keep his atoning work, you know, at the center of everything.
1: Well, and just carry it out. We We also, if we're not careful, gravitate to religion mm-hmm. rather than the relationship. Yeah. And if we're not careful... We get into the do's and don'ts and the rituality of of our religion, and Jesus knew that was a possibility. Mm -hmm. He didn't want that. Christianity is a religion, a relationship, not a religion. It is a religion, but it's more of a relationship. It's a religion based on a relationship Mm -hmm. with Jesus Christ. So by remembering him, we keep the focus on him Mm -hmm. and not
0: on the rituals. The -hmm. rituals should be Pushing us to Christ, yeah, and in connection with that, it keeps us safe from a works-based righteousness of, you know, doing things to be in right relationship. We focus on His work, exactly, exactly. Well, I think I think that's fantastic. That remembering Christ, just how important that is, and if if you're listening, hey, maybe maybe this is applying to you. Maybe you've kind of been living life caught up in the busyness of life caught up, you know, taking your kids to practice and going to work and doing this and doing that. And you're a part, maybe you're a part of church and you're on the worship team or the greeting team or the whatever team. And maybe you're doing your best to live right for the Lord. And maybe you've just found yourself in a time where you're like, oh my gosh, I've forgotten the main thing was the main thing. Hey, take a moment and just thank Jesus that the reason you're saved and um uh, you know the the reason you'll spend eternity with him the reason you're made new is not cuz anything you've done it's all about him and at yep. the end of the day that's the center, center of your life and your creation and the the reason you exist just take a moment real quick pause the episode if you need to and just think about who Jesus is and what he's done for you
1: take a moment of worship because communion is an act of worship Absolutely. and when we worship any other way who do we focus on we focus because on, on Jesus so yeah. i think that's here i love this i put a little note down um we remember a past event that brings pleasant, present blessing. Wow. So that that's what we're doing. We're, past event, his life that brings such blessing now in the present. And reminds us of a future promise.
0: Ooh. Ooh, you go. like that? Write that down. I'm preaching now. Somebody that take down. that down. All right. Um, next, I like this. Is that when we um, when we take communion, it's a proclamation of the gospel. We get this from scripture. It says, "For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you pro- proclaim the Lord's death until he comes." I don't know why I didn't write the scripture reference down for that. So sorry about that, it's, but I promise it's in the Bible. It's First Corinthians chapter eleven. Okay, First Corinthians chapter eleven, verse twenty-six. So through uh, taking communion, you're actually Proclaiming the Lord's death until He's come. There's actually a a preaching proclamation sort of aspect in this. I think one we see this because typically when you take communion, someone gets up and explains it. Typically, the pastor will get up and explain the symbolism. And I think two, there's there's a clear message in the symbolism. You know, as you're taking it, you're proclaiming the Lord's death through the act. Typically, a, a church body, a con- a congregation, is doing this. So together. You are proclaiming the Lord's death. You're saying we believe in a real Jesus who really died for our sins. You're, you're proclaiming the gospel. And I think there's even maybe a connection there with the remembrance as well.
1: Communion is a tremendously evangelistic moment. Yes. Just think about that. Whoever's around, listening, watching, a tremendously evangelistic mm-hmm. moment.
0: Yeah, because you never know who could be in your church you never know who could be in the gathering wherever you're at, the conference, the wherever, um, who doesn't know Jesus. And once again, appealing to those human senses as everyone in the room is you know, taking the, the bread and the fruit of the vine. And uh, yeah, I, I think that's fantastic. Three, um, and, and here I think is interesting that we made this point with baptism as well, um, union with Christ. So the reason we call it communion is we actually have communion or participation in the death and the resurrection of Christ. As we're, I mean, for lack of a better word, we're ingesting, right, finger quotes, you can't see me, his body and his blood. We're, we're, we're taking that into us as we, as we eat and as we drink. So we, once again, we get this picture of union with Christ, of his broken body and his death, and we get to participate in his death and in his life, so that our sinful person has died, and we have new life in him.
1: Yeah, just as water baptism, the, the, we talked about this last episode, that that there's such a deep um, symbolism, representation of, of of us uniting with the death and, and resurrection of Jesus mm-hmm. and the burial, resur- burial resurrection of Jesus. Um,
0: communion is a reminder of it lest we forget. Well, yeah, I was i was actually about to ask you, what's the difference there between uh, the picture of union with Christ in baptism and in communion? I, I don't know that there is one. I mean, they're both. Well, they're, I think you hit it there. You know. Not that there's a difference, excuse me, but that communion, because it regularly happens, maybe baptism is saying it's it the has first happened. thing you do, it has happened, and communion is that regular reminder to yourself and even to others. Yeah. I, I'm in union with Christ. Yeah. That what has happened yeah. is still a living reality. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, absolutely.
0: Yeah. I think that I think that's fantastic. Um, we have communion or participation in his death, kinda where we get that name. Um now I think this this part is is really interesting that we don't maybe we don't talk about as much or think through as much, um, but think through the spiritual nourishment, right? So we're taking food, we're um, you know, eating bread. We're drinking those things in the natural, when you eat food, when you drink, it gives your body physical nourishment. Well, as we um, use this symbolically, we're reminded of the spiritual nourishment. And once again, as communion is something that you do over and over again, we're reminded of the consistent um, spiritual nourishment that we receive from Christ and from the new life that we have in him, from the union that we have in him, that we participate in his life, in his death. Um, It says, Jesus then said to them in Scripture, Truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. They said to him, "Sir." They said to him, "Sir, give us this bread always." Jesus said to them, "I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst." So we get this picture of spiritual nourishment through communion as well. Yeah, I don't think we talk
1: about this enough. I don't think this is, and and this is because it puts us in the nine foot end of the pool. Mm-hmm. Okay, this isn't the waiting pool. The waiting pool. This is the deep end of the pool. Yeah. Um. Jesus lost people when he started talking like this. If if you look at John 6, just keep reading in John 6, uh you just quoted verses 32 35 mm-hmm. when you get into verse 56, he said he who eats my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me and I in him. <laughs> They probably thought he was a crazy. Thought guy. he was a cannibalist. Yeah, I mean he's the, he's a cannibal. He said this Christianity is a cannibal religion. Yeah, and it's not.
0: weren't they weren't Christians actually accused of that at and some point? They were point? Accused
1: of it because we, we took communion and we were saying we were taking the body and the blood of Christ. We were early on. They were accused of being cannibals. Wow. Um, obviously, we are not cannibals. There is tremendous uh, figures of speech being mm. used here. Jesus uses figures of speech they were thinking literally and he was trying to get them to think figuratively for a deeper spiritual truth but so you don't drink his body and you know his, eat his body and drink his blood you know you can't do that but um he's talking about abiding in him and that which is a relationship with him mm-hmm. and what he's saying is i got to live in you you got to live in me there has to be this it's relationship. a major theme in the Gospel of John. It's is that abiding? Abiding is major, and you see that even in his
0: letters, first, second, and third John.
1: Abide in Him, stay in close, mm-hmm. stay close to Him. And so, what Jesus is saying is, you stay close to Me by staying in this. Salvation relationship that I have with you. Keep this and to use the terms that I use is keep the sin out, keep Jesus in. Do what's right, don't do what's wrong. When you do wrong, keep short accounts with God. Get it under the blood and don't let there be anything that stands between you and God and get closer to Him. Like John said, He must increase, I must decrease. Yeah. Work on your relationship with God more than any other relationship. Pursue Him harder than any other thing in life. Money, your career, your education, he, he should be priority. He should be top. Number one, mm-hmm. and communion reminds us of that. It reminds us that my spiritual life that I have does not come from church going or or volunteerism or keeping rituals. My life comes from staying in close relationships. I read the Bible, and He speaks to me, yeah. and He feeds me. I pray, and I speak to Him. It's a relationship that I stay as close to Him as I can be, and I move from faith to faith, and I move from glory to glory. And the longer I serve him, the sweeter he grows. Wow. And my faith just builds and builds and builds and builds. That's what I think is seen here um, in, in feeding that he is the source of my spiritual life. And man, it, it's simple in one effect. I, you know, I've tried to make it simple, and yet it is profound. Because mm-hmm. that's where he said, I am I I'm the vine and you're the branches. Okay? And if the branch stays connected to the vine, if a branch and a tree stays connected, it gets the sap Which is the source of life and fruitfulness. So the the branch has to abide it. But as soon as that branch breaks off, you're done. It'll look good for a day or two or three, and then it starts shriveling up and it dies. Mm. And that's that's what he's saying is you got to stay connected to me, stay connected to me, and not in a religious way, but in a relational way, where I'm the one feeding you spiritual life. Let me be your source. Communion reminds us of that. Just as I eat a wafer and I drink. The grape juice. I have to feed and drink in Jesus every day. That's why y'all to have to spend time with Jesus every day, and not just have this little time and then I'm done and you compartmentalize it. But I'm walking with Him twenty
0: four seven.
1: Pray without ceasing.
0: Yeah, you know, just walking living in Jesus. So there's
1: there. That's a great truth.
0: I love that it's it takes us away from um uh, from from being independent in a sense. I think in our American culture, especially like we. We want to be our own person. You know what I mean. We're enough. Just work hard enough. Just grind hard enough. I can. You know, we we be self. We'll be self dependent in a sense. And I, and I think this takes us away from seeing that we're enough. That we can make enough money or accomplish enough things or work hard enough and be become enough. I, I think it just consistently reminds us that our nourishment will never come from ourselves. It. We've got to lean and rest on Jesus A little day.
1: dab will do you. Yeah. No, it won't. A little dab of Jesus is all I need. Just give me a little Jesus. Mm-hmm. little Jesus, get me by. Well, that's like eating a pack of crackers one time a day. Yeah. Just, I'm going to eat a pack of crackers just to get me through the day, and then tomorrow I'll eat another pack of crackers. You can't, you're, you're going to be unhealthy. You're going to get sick. You're not getting the nutrients you need, the nourishment you need. Nobody would do that, mm-hmm. okay? But boy, you'll eat three meals, and some people eat more than that. They'll feed their body, The point is, feed yourself spiritually by just staying connected with Jesus and feeding on Jesus, and listening to podcasts, and going to church, and reading your Bible, and reading study books. Just, you know, those are the things. Whatever it takes to just let Jesus use these things to feed into
0: your life. Absolutely. Um, Now, the next thing that I think, once again, we we maybe don't focus on a whole lot, but I think is really important is that in communion, we obviously have a participation, a communion in Christ, but there is a, a fellowship with the church, You know, to use the Apostles' Creed, like a communion of the saints, yep. in a sense, when we take part in communion. So in the book of Acts, we see the church gathering together, um, and they're continually taking communion. Sometimes it says seems like they're doing it every day. Sometimes it's on uh, the first day of the week. Um, you know, you know, whatever. But we we see that the church they're regularly it's, they're gathering together is the point, and they're doing it. In First Corinthians, Paul makes it a point we need to take it together and do it respectfully. Um, and uh, let's see, verse twenty nine of oh, I wish I could find it of of this. He uses the word body. Um, yeah, for anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. We'll get in that in a little bit, but there's possible that there's ambiguity there for that word body. Then he means we need to discern the body of Christ, the real meaning of communion, but we need to watch out for the body of Christ. Or like you talked about in the last podcast, the second incarnation of Christ. We need to look out for the church and Mm -hmm. other people and keep them in mind. Um, So what does it look like? Why does communion have this sort of church fellowship aspect? To it? What do we see in communion? Well, there? just to, to simply put, we do it together.
1: It's something we do together. It's it, it brings us together, and it reminds us that what brings us together is Jesus and his atoning work. Um, think about all the people in church that are in a local church that are taking communion or eating the Lord's Supper. They're old, they're young, male, female, black, white. Hispanic, all kinds of ethnicities, okay? Um, Some have been saved for three months. Some have been saved for three years. Some have been saved for 30 years. Some are newborns in Christ, and some are seasoned saints. It doesn't matter. His blood unifies us and brings us together. Just think of all the differences that could separate us, and all those differences are set aside Mm -hmm. and irrelevant because there's one common denominator strong enough To make us love each other like brothers and sisters. Yeah. And that is the atoning work of Jesus Christ, the blood, the body that was broken. So there is a unifying fact. It brings us together. It makes us feel like we are a body, that we are one. That's powerful. Yeah. And that's what communion does. It creates that sense of oneness with Christ and with each other.
0: That we're all a part of We're all... Being unified to the same body, Jesus Christ, and we're all being nourished from the same head. That <laughs> we're the rest of the body, and Christ, the head, is the one who nourishes. It's just like, I mean, you don't. Most people don't get all their nourishment from an IV. They eat, <laughs> right? right? Your nourishment comes from the head down, um, and, and we see the same thing. And so we're we're being unified in that. That's good. Here's something that I think is really cool. Maybe you've heard the term the Eucharist before, and you probably think, okay, that's really Roman Catholic-y. That sounds weird. I've never really heard that before. Um, the term Eucharist really just means giving thanks. It comes from the word Jesus actually used in in the Bible when he, when he gave thanks, when he was instituting the Lord's Supper. Um, and so it really just kind of gives us the picture of a joyous occasion. And so I think this is, too, something that we miss. I think it's great when communion is... Sobering and maybe even a little somber as we're thinking about what our Lord suffered, but at the same time, there's definitely a joyous occasion as we give thanks before we take of the elements because of He didn't stay in the grave; He rose again, and we can be forgiven of our sins and have new life because of the suffering and the death that He went through.
1: Absolutely, and um, I don't have. Oh yeah, I do. First Corinthians ten sixteen. Paul talks about the cup of the blessing. Now here's a connection again with the uh, Passover, the cup of the blessing. There were four different cups or several different cups you drink. Was it four? I think the fourth one was the cup of the blessing. Mm -hmm. So Paul takes that communion. I mean, a Passover old Testament feast element and ties it just like Jesus did, ties it with communion and calls it the cup of blessing. So, the cup of blessing means that communion is a time to bless the Lord for what He did for you. Yeah, giving thanks. So you get back to that Eucharist. It, 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 I think communion is you bless the Lord and then you're blessed. Yeah, you you're bless blessed. the Lord
0: for His blessing. Yeah, and at the same time you are blessed. Yeah, yeah. and
1: you're blessed. I think communion. We'll get talked about that later. But it's just a, it's a it's a blessed time. So it is a time of blessing. It mm-hmm. is a time to be thankful.
0: Yeah. Do What are your ways do you think that—do you think the church overall could change its practice in a sense to make this a more joyous occasion? I think a lot of times, you know, think evangelical, think non-evangelical. It oftentimes seems like kind of like a little stiff moment. How can we make—how can we be more celebratory in a time that can easily get somber because of the gruesome nature, obviously, of the cross? I think it depends on the leader,
1: whether that's the worship leader or the pastor, Um I've led our church countless times in communion and I think early on because of some learned behavior we kept it I kept it somber mm-hmm. and it was but through the years as I've pastored my church depending on the mood and this is a dynamic of being a pentecostal church a spirit-filled church we we have learned how to follow the leading of the spirit and we feel the I mean a very real definite leading within our spirit joined with the spirit of God there have been times when um, we'll take communion, and then at the end, I'll we'll start singing a song. Uh, you know, what can wash away my sins? Nothing but but the blood of Jesus. Or we'll start singing the blood that gives gives me strength from day to day. It will never lose its power. And we'll start singing that old Andre Kraut song. And that's a that's kind of a celebration yeah. song, man. People are just start celebrating and rejoicing. I just think it's I think it's how you want to approach it. Yeah. It's worship. Again, it's an act of worship. So I think it's then sometimes when the spirit does it, you'll cry, but they're not tears of sadness. They're just tears of joy, just weeping, you know, for what he's done for mm-hmm. us. So um yeah, I just think that
0: it's how you, you approach it. Yeah. Just being intentional with it. I think it's good to view it though as something that you can be uh you can be happy about. You can, you can be excited about. Yeah, it, yeah, it is his death, but Man, look what it accomplished. Look what it did. He saved me. You know, he's changed my life. Hallelujah. And for the joy that was set before him, he went to the cross. If Jesus could be joyful about it, my goodness. Yeah, we can be joyful. (laughs) Shouldn't we? Um, And then, and I like this there's a a joyful expectancy to communion that uh, we not only look back to what Christ did and we not only celebrate the present blessing, there's something future to come through his death. Um, and that's the the expectancy and assurance of his second coming.
1: Yeah, Paul said you you mentioned it earlier, verse twenty six of First Corinthians eleven. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death till he comes. Mm. Till he comes. Paul was looking for his coming. The early church was looking for his coming. We look for his coming. We know, I don't even think Paul understood the longevity of the church age. Mm-hmm. You know, they didn't. They thought he was coming in the first century. Well, it's been. 21 centuries now. Yeah. Um uh the, nobody knew that the church age would last 2000 years, but God did. Mm-hmm. So, but I think we're in the last days of the last days. So, I think more than ever this should move us to say even so come Lord Jesus mm-hmm. and look for his coming. So, we need to when we're taking communion, we need to think about the fact that he came the first time to bring sin, he's coming the next time to consummate our salvation. Yeah. So that's what communion does. He came the first time to save me. He's coming in that
0: second time to finish what he started. Do you think we can make the connection between this and the marriage shepherd of the Lamb when he comes back for us? Yeah, do you think there's a clear connection there? Yeah, a lot
1: of people do that. A lot of uh, scholars do that. Is um. Is the marriage supper the lamb? And some people say, you know, is that just a symbolic thing, or is there a real supper? I tend to think there's a real supper. I hope there is. I mean, I like to eat. (laughs) And um, there'll probably be angel food cake there. I don't know. Anyway, Oh, come on. I don't know. Anyway. um, Do you think there will be deviled eggs? No. (laughs) Well, only if they're sanctified. I like (laughs) deviled eggs. I mean, I really like deviled eggs. Your grandmother, my mom, makes awesome deviled eggs. But— um, yeah, I would think, we say this meal's heavenly. You, I'm sorry. Go. Okay, I'm going to stop. I'm going to stop now. I'm done. Just, just the I'm puns are, you're being real punny, but, <laughs> but I think it's going to happen. I mean, I think there's going to be a marriage over the Lamb. Obviously. Yeah. I think there's a connection. Mm-hmm. A lot of scholars say this pre, uh, is kind of a preclude yeah. or preview to that time. We're, we're celebrating now, but man, one of these days we're all going to be together yeah. when we all get to heaven. What a day of rejoicing that would be! Yeah. it's going to be awesome. We we sit down, in the mirror, the lamp so yeah, I think so.
0: Yeah, I think that's great, and I like to take a moment and just stop to hey, if you're listening, maybe some of these aspects of communion are things you've never really thought through before, or even heard before. I just want to encourage you: take a moment, process these. If you need to, while you, while you've got it fresh in your brain, if you need to write them down, like whatever you need to do, take a moment to process these, kind of lock them away. Uh, in your heart and in your mind, and then maybe the next time you take communion, um, this can be—it can be something even more special. You know, as you think through it of union with Christ, as you think through it um, uh, with happiness and with celebration, as you think through it, you know, in a way of past, present, and future blessing. I just want you to take a time and just learn from this and lock this away, so that the next time you take communion, maybe it has a, a richer understanding for you. Um, but now that we've explained the symbolism of communion, let's talk talk about the institution of it. How do we go about it? Um, I would say this. Well, so I'll ask another question: Does it have to be literal bread and wine? Is there something very particular about those elements, or can it be broadened a little bit?
1: Well, Jesus used unleavened bread, and I I want to point this out. Um, this might grab somebody's attention. I know in evangelical churches, thousands of evangelical churches, um, we use a wafer and we use grape juice, mm-hmm. okay? Some Catholic church uses, I think, literal wine. Mm-hmm. Um, so, no, I don't think it has to be bread and wine. As a matter of fact, if you study the Bible, um, there is no reference to wine. It it refers to the cup, and it refers to the fruit of the vine. Justin Martyr, who was a historian, said that the wine that was used it was fermented, was watered down, it was diluted, so that it re- it removed that alcoholic element uh, in the in the. So the, so I like I'm going to say this. So it's not an alcoholic beverage. Yeah. Okay, fermented alcoholic beverage. It was watered down. Okay, so that children and whoever could take it, you know, whatever's taking it. Mm-hmm. So um. No, I don't think it has to be wine. I think you go with grape juice. I think it represents it. The point is um I think you stick with the fruit of the vine because grape juice does look like blood. Mm-hmm. And that's the point is to symbolize and represent. And then you know the bread, I've I've been in different settings where we literally took a, a loaf of bread. It wasn't unleavened bread. We'd break it off. Yeah. Uh, and we'd hand it to the people and a literal loaf of bread. So, no, I don't I don't think it has to be
0: yeah, literal unleavened bread and wine, and I think probably with it being unleavened bread is because they were properly properly observing Passover, which had to be unleavened, unleavened bread. bread so right, it's probably just more of the situation,
1: You're right? The uh, context.
0: So um, now here's something that I think is really important, and, and that we should that, that we should address. And then I think people may have questions about um, should communion be done with a body of believers, or can it be done alone? All right, so I'm gonna ask you, what do you think? Yeah, I think I think that it should be done in a body of believers. I I think that that is the proper context. If you do it alone, I'm not saying that you're in sin or like anything. Like I'm not going to pronounce judgment on you, but I think to get that's the awful most, nice of you. You're welcome. We're <laughs> not going to excommunicate you. Uh, I don't even have the power to do that. If I think that it should be taken in, in the church. I think that's what we see most in the Bible. I think we, the symbolism, we get the most out of the symbolism and the intended purpose. I think that it that regular practice is done in a body of believers. Whether that's that.
1: two people or 2,000 people but if there's a, a gathering of believers of some sort.
0: And I would say even, yeah, I would say as long as it is a proper believer gathering, like you could do it in a small group, like that's you know the gathering of the church, but I think it's good to do it in the gathering of a body of believers.
1: Could a husband wife do it? Because that's a small group.
0: And, the, and if that husband's saved, he's the spiritual leader of the home. I'm I like I said, I'm not saying that he can't, and I'm not saying that you wouldn't get spiritual nourishment out of it. They're having I a, still think there's something better. They're having devotions and, and they want to have communion together. I still think there's something better in gathering with the whole body because you're already a family unit with all of those things, but there's something unique about the entire church from what all if different they, backgrounds, whatever. What if
1: they live in a pagan culture and there is no church and they heard the gospel, and they got saved, and there's no church for them to go to. And They're they in are China, the church. and there's, there, there's no church.
0: All the churches are underground. They don't know what they are. They are still, you're right, they are still a gathering of the body of believers celebrating the death and resurrection of Christ.
1: I'm poking the bear here on purpose Absolutely. with you because I'm, I'm with you. I think its intention is for a body of believers, mm-hmm. but then the body of believers, like you said, it can be... That's diverse. I well, mean, any, that can be yeah. any number of people, yeah. not just in a church facility, church setting. So I'm with you. Can one person take it? There it, there was a movement. There is a concept. I've known people who adhere to it that, that uh, think that there are tremendous benefits from taking communion alone. Um, I'm not going to say that that's not true. I'm not going to say that. I don't. I don't know that why any reason that could be. I'm like you. I'm not on any reason why I could judge that. Um, I don't know that there's anything morally wrong with mm-hmm. it per se. Yeah. Uh, if a person is in that moment, uh, say in the morning, they want to take communion and they're thinking of the broken body of Christ and the blood that He shed, and they're celebrating His death and thinking about it. I don't think there's anything necessarily wrong with that. I know that there's a movement of people who think that if you take communion, that it opens the doorway of God's grace for healing. I've known people who've had serious diseases, and they would take communion, I mean almost every morning, looking for healing. And their concept is, "I'm by his stripes we are healed. I'm going to focus on the death of Jesus and what he did, and I'm going to look to that healing aspect of his redemptive work mm-hmm. to bring healing to my life. I'm not going to judge that either. So, so that if our listeners are saying, well, I've done that or we do, I, I'm not here to stop you.
0: Yeah. We're not saying you're like in
1: sin no, or anything. No. Like that, I mean, right? I understand why there are some people who might do that kind of thing, but I'm like you. I think it's, it's greatest fulfillment and maybe, um, effect mm-hmm. spiritually, uh, could, could probably take place in a, in some kind of a, group setting with God's people
0: yeah I, I agree um, I don't really think this is an issue but I think it's just worth pointing out does the order matter right bread first and then the wine or can it be you know the fruit of the vine and then the bread I, I my whole life I've always done it bread
1: then then the fruit of the vine the grape juice and I guess we do it because that's the way Jesus did it yeah
0: I mean I a like, broken body and then that and, I don't want to change what Jesus did I do it Jesus way absolutely absolutely um Now, this is another one. This is a very important one, and this is an issue um, for for some churches. Who can take communion, believers or also non-believers? This is going to be the hot button. This is spooky and
1: spicy. This is spicy. This is (laughs) going to be the hot button. Okay, so if you're listening right now, put your seatbelt on, because most of our podcasts, you know, we're— we don't we don't get out there and push things too often. We we just want to share so we'll talk about God. But I had to I had to confront this theologically in my life. And uh I I had some pushback from people, but I pushed back too mm-hmm. and they couldn't push back anymore because I let the word of God dictate what I believe. That's that's my source. So a lot of people think that Communion should only be taken by believers. And they take the passage in 1 Corinthians 11, which we've been referring to, which I have right now open in front of me, where it talks about taking communion unworthily and examining yourself. Okay, Mm -hmm. And then it talks about God putting judgment on people who didn't examine themselves and who took communion unworthily and, and got sick, and some of them even died. Yeah. And that's scary. So people have read those and said, oh, what that means is that you have to be saved. And well, that's not what it says. And so if you're going to go by what it says, go by what it says, don't make it say something else. And so when I read it, what I understood was that to take it worthily means to give it its worth that the, 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 the wafer and the grape juice symbolize, represent the broken body and the blood of Jesus. So I'm supposed to be thinking about and meditating on the crucifixion of Jesus, the sufferings of Jesus, the atoning work of Jesus. And I'm to examine myself and make sure that I'm not just popping in a wafer and down in juice and going on my way, but that I am actually... In this moment, and I do this every time I take communion. I lead communion. I'm making sure that we are focusing on Jesus. Oh, I spend a lot I talk about Jesus, what He did. I want to look at the cross. I'm looking at Christ on the cross. Okay, and and examine
0: so that when I take it, that's what I'm thinking about. I'm showing forth His death. Now, what were they doing in Corinth? I think that's worth pointing out. How were they disrespecting it? They, it was even more than just not maybe properly thinking to it. They were. Disrespecting it and the body. In a way.
1: Early on in the church, they used to have love feasts. Mm-hmm. We don't do this anymore. Uh, maybe some churches do, but Baptist generally the
0: potluck. <laughs> there you go, potluck supper.
1: But but uh, they would do a love feast that went with it. Okay, mm-hmm. what was happening was then they would do communion. What was happening was they got to a place at Corinth where they were no longer drinking it worthily. They were not looking at the elements worthily. They were just looking at his bread and fruit of the vine. So they were just taking it as a ritual, not even thinking about the death of Jesus. That's like why Paul
0: had to write about it. And they were leaving. My understanding is they were leaving the poor folks in the church without food. Yeah, the rich people came first, and brought, they would they eat brought it brought the food. They yeah. brought
1: the food. They'd eat it, and then it was all gone. And then they'd leave, so they wouldn't <laughs> eat together. Yeah. They didn't want to be poor folks. There were factions. There were mm-hmm. there were, and so and then you had people following Paul, one followed Peter, one followed Silas, yep. whoever, and so Barnabas, so those people would eat together and they'd get in little groups. There was no unity. There was no fellowship with one another, no nuts. fellowship with Christ. It was just a meal. They'd eat it, they walk out, and and they were supposed to be giving this spiritual, tremendously powerful spiritual significance to the bread and the fruit of the vine, and they weren't doing it, and that's they weren't examining themselves mm-hmm. to say, Am I giving? Am I looking at the cross? They weren't putting worth and value to the meal; it was just a meal, okay. And
0: they were using something holy to disrespect
1: the body. I think they took what was should have been holy, and they were making it profane and common. Yeah, and that's always an issue with God. Yeah, and so that's why they got sick. But what we've done, people and preachers, have made it where they weren't that these people weren't saved. And that's why they got sick. Well, it doesn't say that.
0: Paul, even though this church is so messy, Paul at the beginning of his letter addresses them as those who are saved. He called them the church of God. Yeah. God's church.
1: So that's that's why I'm saying when I looked at it, I don't see that. Now here, let me, so, so that's theologically. That's yeah. pulling from the text, okay? Mm-hmm. And somebody might want to take me to task. That's fine. Go ahead. I, there's just a couple other <laughs> things that I look at here is, um, I, so I dug deeper. Okay. So here's a, this is just a practical. All right. If it's true that you can't be a non believer or or a sinner, because the people who really go the length of this will say you have to examine yourself and make sure there's no sin in your heart. Mm-hmm. See, I've heard it a million times. Yep. You make sure you're, if you've got sin in your heart, don't take communion. You'll get sick. Okay. And it's I've scary. seen them scare off godly people. Mm hmm who were so terrified that they would get sick or die and be judged by God that they wouldn't even take communion. They let the elements pass by them. That's Mm -hmm. how extreme we've gotten in this. All right, here's the thing. With all due respect to all my Roman Catholic brothers and sisters, okay, for the Roman Catholics who are not my brothers and sisters, who are just religious people who live like hellions, and every once in a while you go to the priest and you confess to a priest your sins, not the high priest Jesus— and you get your rosaries and run through your ritual, okay, and all that this is is a religion to you, but you live like a sinner, okay, and I'm not going to list all the sins you commit, but you're a sinner who has just happened to be a religious sinner. All these millions of them around the world take communion constantly because that's part of the Holy Mass, Mm -hmm. the Mass, and so they take the bread and they drink the juice, and if what... People say is true that you have you cannot have sin in your life and you have to examine yourself and you have to be, you know, right with God. All the Catholics around the world ought to be in the hospitals or dead. The Catholic churches ought to be decimated by the judgment of God, and yet they don't. Mm-hmm. They walk out of there fine and God doesn't strike them dead or make them all sick. They walk out of here why why? Because even the Catholics, in their religiosity, okay, are stressing and emphasizing that this is symbolic of the body, the broken body and the blood of Jesus. Some of them I've been in and I've been in non non evangelical churches before. I won't name the denomination, but I actually got to participate. When they let me participate, it was the Catholic Church. And as we I got to break the bread, the other pastor distributed, I was told, and I said, tell me how to do it. I would break it off, and I would, I would say, the body of Christ. He would give them the, the juice, and he would say, the blood of Christ. I would break up the body of Christ. We were emphasizing, all right, the Catholics do this. Mm-hmm. They got a crucifix. Every church has got a crucifix with Jesus hanging on it. Yeah, They look at the cross. They see, they don't get sick, and they don't die, because even though they may not be appropriating the work of Christ to their life to get saved, yeah. because they're doing a religion, they're still seeing it. And recognizing that that juice, that wine, because they have wine in a cup, and that bread is a representative of the body and the work and the atoning work of Jesus Christ. Mm-hmm. See what I'm saying? Yeah. So so there's a problem you have is why are all those people keeling over and dying?
0: We could probably even apply this uh, to a lot of the churches in the South. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, probably can, every church. <laughs> now, here's the kicker. This is the kicker. And I called my college professor who has two earned doctorates and knows the Bible like nobody I've ever known in my life. This man is one of them. He's like sitting sit with him. He's like sitting at the feet of the Apostle Paul. I had somebody challenge me on this one time because I was talking about how I believe that sinners could actually take communion and they're going to be fine. I mean, I, I think it's probably not good for sinners to take communion. I don't want to We're them... not saying it's intended
0: necessarily Yeah, for I
1: i I think it's for the church. Yeah. Okay. But if a sinner's in your congregation and takes or you got a church member who's backslidden, but they're taking it, but they're right now they're living in sin, but they still here's the boy, he came guy man came in my office, took me to task, you know. Oh, he was trying to tell the other thing. You know, you gotta I said, Look, let me just mess you with your head. I went back and I looked at it chronologically in the gospels, okay? And then I called my college professor, my Bible college, for who is unbelievably Knowledge about these things. And he confirmed it. I asked him, I said, Is it not true that Judas Iscariot took communion, not just the Passover, the communion? My college professor thought for a minute and he said, You are absolutely right. He did. Mm. Now, he was backslidden. He, he was stealing money. And in just a matter of moments, when he got up to leave to go betray the Lord, the Bible says that Satan entered him. Mm. So here was a man ripe for satanic possession. Wow and Jesus gave him the bread and the fruit of the cup, and he took communion. Wow. Now, if that sinner at the very first Lord's Supper took it yeah. <laughs> and didn't keel over and die, there's you're going to have a hard time with that one. So, yeah, should it be for sinners? No, I think it's for the church. I think it's intended for the church, But if that, but if a sinner takes it, Okay, but they're recognizing what they're hearing what, what we're saying. Then I just then I just think that God's not going to kill them and judge them, or they're going to get sick. I, matter of fact, it's the opposite. I think it's a tremendous evangelistic moment, and that's what I say is they're seeing the gospel. You talked about God giving us these tangible things we mm-hmm. put in our hands. They're holding these elements in their hands that are symbolic. They're holding the symbols of the God the gospel. They're hearing the gospel. And what we want is they're participating in representation of the gospel. What would be great is if they actually
0: believe the gospel. Paul, I mean, like we talked about earlier, saved. Paul said this is a proclamation of the gospel. Yeah, the until Lord's death. The Lord comes, and yeah. yeah, I think you're right. I think God, as God's Spirit, works through all these things of worship. You know, so for instance, is it wrong for a sinner to sing a Christian song in worship, even though they may not technically be appropriating it to themselves? Obviously, communion is a, is is an ordinance, but you see what I'm saying. Yes. Like, even though it doesn't apply, and as they sing those words and kind of process what's going on, the Spirit of God might work through that and make them realize I'm a sinner and I need a Savior. Um, and and I think He can do the same thing through communion.
1: Uh, and that's the thing. So that so that nobody's listening right. No one's listening right now, saying, "Well, boy, he's a heretic. I'm not a heretic." Okay. <laughs> I, 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 I'm just saying, I believe, I think water communion, I mean, I mean. just like water baptism, communion is for the church. Mm-hmm. I think it's for the believer. I think the greatest impact is going to happen with the believer. The greatest significance of it is going to come to a believer. But what I'm saying is if if a sinner does take it, okay, for whatever reason, how that could happen, there are a lot of reasons, but if they do and they're appropriating and seeing the death of Christ within that act, it's not a bad thing. It's a good thing. Mm-hmm. And what we could hope and pray is that they might even come to Christ so that the next time they take it, it yeah. will have that that impact for them. But to yeah. be extremist and uh say, "No, oh, they can't take it and, you know, you've got to you got to be worthy." Uh, well, are any of us worthy? <laughs> exactly. You know, only, if you're going to go that route. Yeah, and I just I don't think that's what Paul was saying there at all if you take the context. So anyway, I know we spent a lot of time there, but that's uh, that's a big one because a lot that's of people just—I've heard it time and again. There's things we get on bandwagons as preachers, and man, we just read things, and I don't, I just, sometimes we're not exactly saying it like it means. We're making
0: it mean something else. Yeah, I agree. All right. Well, as we move on to the last thing, we've got about we've got about eight minutes left, and that's really specific time. We've got just a little bit of time left. Um, I think this is important to go over when just. Because it's interesting for you know the listeners' knowledge, and I think it also gives us kind of clarity on what we're doing and on the power of communion, the purpose of communion. Um, typically, there are four views of communion of what is happening to the what is happening in communion and what is happening to the actual substance of communion. Real quick, let me just go through the four, and uh, and, and we can kind of discuss them, review them talk about what we believe and why. So the verse, the first view, and this is the Roman Catholic view, is it's called transubstantiation. So, you know, you think of something transforming, transubstantiation, and this view says that when the priest blesses the elements, consecrates it. it, that they literally become the body and blood of Christ. That although they look still like bread and like wine, that they are... They are the body and the blood the body and the it's blood a meta what they christ. call it is a metaphysical change yes exactly and so they believe that you are taking in the actual body and blood of christ then when christ spoke these words that that's literal yeah let me just
1: say that what we're dealing with is in what sense is jesus
0: present in the elements because yes. yes. this is a
1: big deal this is a very big okay, deal. okay so that's what the roman catholics say
0: then there is the idea of consubstantiation con kind of giving the idea of with um this is put forth by Martin Luther. Remember, he kick kickstarted the Reformation. He was the OG, um, and he's coming out of the Catholic Church. So we still got a lot of Catholic influences. And I'm pretty sure this is right, so correct me, somebody, Lutheran. I'm sorry if I'm wrong. But they believe that at the same time, the bread and wine are both bread and wine and the body and blood of Christ. This is different from the Roman Catholic um, view because they believe— uh, you know, the Roman Catholics believe that it transforms into only the body and the blood of Christ. Lutherans say it is bread and wine and the body and blood of Christ. Yeah, they, the, Very element, interesting.
1: the elements contain. Yes. The so body. the bread contains the body of Christ. The grape juice contains mm-hmm. the blood of Christ. Yes. So that's why you're saying they're both, both of them, where the, the Roman Catholics say that the blood, the body, the, the bread actually becomes Becomes the body of Christ, even though it looks like Mm -hmm. still a piece of bread. Exactly. Okay.
0: Then we get to the the more Reformed view. Um, This is put forth by John Calvin. And the idea here is that the bread and wine, they are only bread and wine, but that Christ is spiritually present in communion when discerned by faith. So that means you have to be a believer, you have to have faith in Christ, faith in what's happening, obviously, in that Christ is specially, spiritually present. uh, In the elements. In the elements. Yeah, his
1: presence is in the bread, in his presence. So it's not body and blood, but it's his spiritual presence. Is there. Is in the bread. So when you're taking in the bread, you're taking in the presence of Jesus. And when you drink the grape juice, you're taking in the presence of Jesus, and
0: then that, and that God uses this in His presence as a means to sanctify it's a, us. It's he a redemp- grace,
1: right? It's a redemptive presence, so yes. that there's a saving work in taking communion. Which, well,
0: I don't know that He means that it saves you. Well, I think He means that it sanctifies you. Okay, some say redemptive. Yeah,
1: so, I don't know that Calvin was saying no, that. no, but the Reformed, I'm, I'm I'm not sure of this. So our Reformed brothers and sisters can help us here, but I'm I'm. I'm wondering if there may be a redemptive element. I don't know. That's that one I'm unsure of, but i There may
0: be some groups who, who do believe it's it's kind of how baptism, you're not saved till you're baptized kind of in a, in a special way there. Some groups may believe that. And then there is the memorial view. So this began with Ulrich Zwingli. What a name. Quite the name. Also a major reformer. Um, this is the idea that nothing happens to the bread and wine and that in communion, Nothing is really happening even within the substances. There's no special presence. Christ is not specially present. He's not any more present— It's just a memorial. —than he's present anywhere else. Right. So we've got some wildly, wildly different views. Um, Just talk to us, what do we believe and why? Well, our
1: view would be really close to Zwingli. Yes. um, But maybe with a twist— uh, because when you read what Z- Zwingli and that kind of thought, anybody has that thought, and it, it, which I think carries to today in a lot of churches, then it just becomes a memorial mm-hmm. service. Uh, Jesus died. We're having a memorial service. It's called communion. Um, it's somber. It's sober, and it's almost ritualistic. It is a ritual. It mm-hmm. is a rite. I take it back. It's a rite, but it's almost a ritual that's a dead, lifeless, we got to have communion. It's supposed to material, have communion. We're just going to tack it on to the service. Mm-hmm. I, that's not what Jesus wanted. That's not what he instituted. That's not what Paul's talking about. When he, he It's supposed to be, in my estimation, a spiritual experience. Absolutely. But not in the way that our Reformed brothers and sisters believe, what we talked about or Calvin believed. But it's, it's a memorial. You're focusing on the death. Of, you're proclaiming the Lord's death. But we're giving thanks, and it's an act of worship. And so in acts of worship, there should be a spiritual element to it, okay? When Jesus talked to the woman at the well, he said, God is a spirit, and they that worship him must worship him in spirit Mm -hmm. and in truth. So this is where we Pentecostals maybe can have a little different viewpoint on this because we 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 believe in the indwelling of the holy spirit and the manifestation of the presence and the power of god and so with our theology as well as our experience we found that we can take communion and we feel the lord yeah it's not the bread or the juice it's just because he lives inside of us and he's in our presence and we feel the lord and we've got goosebumps and the hair standing up and or we we're being moved on on in the inside, and we might be crying, but they're tears of joy. It's celebrating what He's done, or thinking about how He saved me and what He saved me from. And so I focus on the cross. I'm crying because thank thank God for what You did for me. I'm thinking I could be in hell right now, and thinking about He saved my son and He saved my brother who was in sin, and we just start having a worship experience. Yeah, and that's kind of how we do it here at High Praises. And we never know. We do it quarterly because you know people say how often we take communion. Well, I think there's no hard
0: rule the bible doesn't give us no doesn't prescribe no. Nope. so
1: people can take it as much as they want i mean we try a minimum of every quarter it needs to be regular in some way somehow somewhere, somehow yeah. and here at high praises we do it at least every quarter yeah so four times a year but um that's a minimum but man service to service i never know i mean we may just start singing and after we've taken it Sometimes I let them sit down. Sometimes I have them stand up. Mm-hmm. Sometimes as soon as they're done, I go into preaching. Sometimes we, I'll have them raise their hands and say, just thank God for what he did. for you think about what he saved you from, sometimes we'll start singing, and, man, people just get excited. I just think
0: it's a worship
1: experience.
0: Yeah, I agree. I think, I think like you said, with anything else, the Spirit of God moves through our worship and does something to us, and I, I don't think that should be any different – With communion, I would say, two, with it being an ordinance, this is one of the two things that that Christ specifically commanded his believers to do, as far as ordinances. So it's got to be up there. It's it's important to Jesus, Mm -hmm. especially important to Jesus. I would say, three, the fact that he would pour out special, whether you want to call it judgment or discipline, on his church in Corinth for making something that is holy, profane, shows that God, once again, holds communion to a high uh, standard and, and importance. So for us, I think it's more than just a memorial. I think, I think we shouldn't be surprised that God would work through it to work in us yes. in, in a way. I, we shouldn't be surprised any more than God you know, affects us through worship, that God affects us through prayer, that God affects us through fasting, through other spiritual disciplines, through the preaching of the Word, like whatever else, I don't think we should be surprised at all. Um I even I on on Instagram there are a couple of people I follow and they they want you to ask them theological questions. That's like their thing and they'll answer it to you. So I asked the guy uh this question and he said, "Look, being he said, I've been raised a charismatic my whole life." He said, "This shouldn't weird this doesn't weird me out that God could do something through communion." He said, "If we believe that God can work through a towel or a cloth or whatever and start healing people or whatever else." He said, Why would we be shocked that God works through bread and wine? At the end of the day, it's God doing the work. It has nothing to do with the physical material, whatever. So that's kind of how I, I guess, how I view it. I think to
1: take communion, we can close on this, to take communion and just go through it and not, and to be unmoved is weird to me. Yes. Every time we take communion, I'm affected in some form or fashion. Mm -hmm. It never gets old. The cross should never get old to us the effect of the cross on me should never get old. It should still make me cry sometimes. It should still put me in awe and wonder that the God of heaven, the Son of God, would come down this earth and suffer what he did to redeem me, the worst of sinners. I mean, that should make me cry. It should make me be in awe and wonder, and it it ought to make me shout. It ought to make me get happy. It ought to make me smile. It ought to make me laugh. It ought to make me just say, hallelujah, thank you, God, with all my heart, there's so many responses that could come out of that. I just think it's worship. And that's, if you want communion to be special, don't let it be a ritual. Make sure it's worship. And then just well, express yourself to God, then receive the blessing that God does in your heart and your life.
0: Absolutely. Well, I hope that uh, this episode has helped you today. I, I hope that you've got an understanding of communion. I hope now you're looking forward to communion. I hope you're ready to... Go do it. Um, But thank you so much for tuning in. I want to remind you find us on Facebook at High Praises Church. Find us on Instagram at High Praises Church. Send us a direct message of any questions that you have. We just might answer that question at the end of an episode, and we might even make an entire episode out of it, depending on the question. Um, Make sure to subscribe, stay up to date on all of our episodes. Give us a rating, give us a review so that um, through Apple's algorithm, we can get more exposure, more people listening. Send us episodes, send this podcast to a friend, to somebody that needs it, and we will see you uh, in a couple of weeks. We hope that you have enjoyed Sacrament September. Let's go. See you next week. Take care.